when I was sitting back there, I saw that sitting there. I thought, if that's another clock, it ain't going to do no good. (laughs) All right, what I'm not seeing is the advancer for the... I don't trust you with it anyway. (laughs) So, if you have been here for the other lessons, this lesson will be helpful um, in some of the things that we've talked about. If you haven't been here for the other lessons, these things still will be helpful for you because this is one of those lessons that we kind of back up and is more of an umbrella kind of an idea about what what God can do for us and what God does do for us. And the purpose of, of this lesson today is, especially uh, for the men, if you were in the men's class yesterday, I mean, we really talked a lot about what I have to do. You know, that was kind of the focus, how it's up to you um, to, to make these changes in your life. And even I tried yesterday to, to bring God in and mention God and his importance and how you can't do this without him. But this lesson is, is really where I, I want to drive that point home. And this is true for all of us. And it doesn't matter what sin you might be struggling with. It doesn't matter where your weaknesses are. You have to understand this point. You know, it is absolutely essential in our relationship with God to understand our utter and complete dependence upon him. I think sometimes we get that physically. You know, it's it's interesting that when David talks to, I mean, when Daniel talks to Belshazzar about God, he says, this is the God who holds the very breath of your life in his hands. And we get that. You know, we, we, I've heard people say, man, the only thing you can control is your breathing. That's not really true. You know, right now, if you were able to hold your breath long enough, you know what happens? You pass out, you fall down, you start breathing again. And then you wake up with a terrible headache. (laughs) But that's what God has done for us. And so we understand that physically. But we have to get to the point where we appreciate and trust in that spiritually. Because it is much more true spiritually than it is even physically. I think God shows us our physical dependence on Him so we can understand our spiritual dependence on Him. You know who understands our dependence on Him better than anybody else? Him. God does. God's the one who created this system. God's the one who created you. And so, should it surprise us then that it's God himself who's taken all the necessary steps in order for us to be able to be what we can't be without him? It's God who's removed all these obstacles and broken down all of the walls in this relationship that we ourselves built. But it is up to us. To take advantage of these blessings of God. It's like God has set out a banquet before us and said, go eat. And so he did all of that. But unless you get up out of your seat and go eat, his blessings do you no good. 
And so that's where I want this lesson to come from. I want you to think about this lesson from this lesson. What I want you to learn is what God has done for you. And then what's our response to what God has done? I think it's important to begin with this idea that it is only God who can cleanse us. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 6, there's this this beautiful scene where Isaiah in in some form gets to see God. And, And note, I want you to notice Isaiah's response And then what God does for Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, He covered His face. With two, He covered His feet. With two, He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sins purged. So I also heard a voice saying, Whom shall we send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. So here's God, here's this man who we rightfully so consider this, this great hero of the Bible, great hero of faith. You know, I've even heard about people naming their kids after this guy. And he gets to see God in, in whatever form this is. He gets to see God. And what he realizes very quickly is he has no business being there. He has no business at all being in God's presence. And so he cries out in despair, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't belong here. And and what does God do? God cleanses him. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so the seraphim brings a coal and touches his lips and says, you're forgiven. God just made... Isaiah, something that he was not. What God just did was sanctify him because Isaiah is going to have a job to do. Did you notice that? That after he's sanctified, then God says, where's somebody that we can send? And he's like, here am I, send me. And I think in the context we should understand because he realizes what he's seen and he realizes what God has done for him. And so he's going to do whatever God wants. And what a great response. There's a similar scene, we're not going to read this, but in Zechariah 3, when Joshua the prophet is standing before God in filthy garments. And Satan is there to accuse him. Kind of reminds me also of of Romans 3, when the, the purpose of the law is to shut every mouth before God. Joshua never says a word. But there's Satan, he's in filthy garments. And God says, take the filthy garments off of him. Put a clean turban on his head, give him a clean robe. God just made Joshua something that he was not. God just sanctified 
Joshua. And that's what we're seeing in both of these scenes. God sanctifying these men. God making these men be something that they needed to be, but could not be in God's presence. And by His mercy, He cleanses them of their sin, of their filthiness. There are many different passages we could turn to in the New Testament to talk about our promise from God for this same thing. But the one I want to look at is in 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 9. John says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sins. He'll do for us what he did for Isaiah and Joshua. We do not belong in God's presence. Because of our sin. I think sometimes we have this tendency to to focus on the sins of the world. And and we think about the sins of the world. You know, Jesus died for the sins of the world. That's absolutely true. But I think there has to come this moment in time when we realize, it's me. It's not the sins of the world that make me unworthy to stand in God's presence. It's my sin. And here, John says that God can and will forgive us of all of our sins. Because another thing that we often do is we think to ourselves, my my sins are just too much. God, God wouldn't forgive me. But here, he tells us, all we have to do is cry out in the same way that Isaiah cried out. All we have to do is is confess and seek the forgiveness that he has promised to do. And you understand that when God makes a promise, he never falls on it. You know, when when Peter says that to God a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, that doesn't mean God can't tell time. God can tell time. It means that when God makes a promise to you, if it takes a thousand years for him to bring that promise to come to pass, it will come to pass as if it was the first day. Now me, if I make a promise to you, I even told some of y'all yesterday, if you want my notes, I'll give them to you. And you send me an email and I'll send them to you. If I haven't done it in a week, you better send me another email because I forgot. But not God. When God makes a promise, it always comes true. And so when God promises here, if if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. He will forgive. He does. That promise is available to everybody who seeks it. But also I think it's important for us to realize just who we were and what God has done. Because this free gift of God is free to us, but it was not free to him. In Romans, I mean, yeah, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. I just, I love this image. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, and yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God. Two of my favorite words in the scriptures. But God. I, I challenge you just to type those in on your computer program. And what you find out is when it's but God, he's just changed the bad situation to something good. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. Then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Did y'all notice how... Paul refers to us before God sanctified us. He says, we were without strength. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. But he demonstrated his love to us when we were in that situation. You know, you just think about some names that that come to your mind when you think the word enemy, you know. Maybe you think Hitler. Maybe you think the University of Kentucky. How many of y'all willing to die for an enemy? I mean, you know, he even says... You might die for a good man, but who's going to die for an enemy? That's what you were when Jesus died for you. Without strength. There was nothing you could do about that. Without strength. And then God sent his only begotten son. I, I have two sons. And I'll just be honest with you. I have yet to meet the person that I would trade their lives for. But that's what God did. And and look what the text says he did. He justified us. He saved us. He reconciled us. Again, God made us something that we are not. He made his enemies become his children. He did that with this one tremendous sacrifice. The Hebrew writer makes it very clear in Hebrews 9. Jesus, one sacrifice was enough to cleanse all the sins of the world, enough to cleanse all of your sins. And if you ever doubted that or needed some assurance, you can look at the brethren of Corinth and what Paul says about them, what they were before they were sanctified. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. 
but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's who those people were. That's who we were. But we have been washed and sanctified and justified if we're his children. And if you're not, that's available to you. And I think it's also important to appreciate the fact that, that it is only through Jesus that and his blood that we can be cleansed. You know, we, Isaiah was cleansed because the, the seraphim brought the coal and, and touched him. And that was for Isaiah. But for us, it is Jesus in Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not trying to condemn you, but we were all sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all done something wrong. We've all done something to violate God's law. Now, again, hey, I know there's babies and young ones here, but I'm not talking to them. They're innocent. And unfortunately, if they live long enough, there will come a day where they join the ranks of sinners. That's a sad thing to say. That's the world we live in. Thanks be to God. There's hope. Because it goes on to say that being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth the propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Who can be justified? The one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus. So, God's given us Jesus. By the way, which he describes in Romans 5, and again in Romans 6, he makes this comment that he is a free gift. But what's our response to God's gift? How should we respond? You remember Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church? And then in Acts chapter 9, he comes face to face with the reality that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you kick against the goads? Paul asked one question. That was it. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, what, what more could he ask? Again, like, like he says later on, the, the law was written so that every man's mouth would be stopped before God. He's out been persecuting Jesus. Now he finds out this Jesus really is the Messiah. This Jesus was raised from the dead. This Jesus is alive. What do I need to do, Lord, to make this right? That's what he's asking. You ever been in that position where you, you messed up big time? And all you can say is, what do you want me to do to make this right? You know, when you ask that question, whatever comes next, that's what you need to do. That's the big mistake the rich young ruler made. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think 
this isn't I think, so take it for what it's worth. I think he thought he had already done enough. And so Jesus tells him, this is what you need to do. And he walks away sorrowful. When we know that we're the one in the wrong, isn't this what we should do? We should be willing to do whatever comes next. So what does come next? Paul was actually told to go into the city and be told him what to do. The men heard me use these two words yesterday. Because really what it takes to enjoy the power of God's sanctification really just comes down to something really simple. You need to separate yourself from the world and dedicate yourself to service to God. That's the simple answer. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples, also he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What do you need to do? I like the play on the words in verse 34. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's what we have to do. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a passage uh, I suspect is very familiar to you. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I think it's cool. That's where he starts. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I like the New King James saying your reasonable service because it just kind of makes sense. You cry out to the Lord, what must I do? This is it. That just makes sense. It's reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Later on in Colossians, Paul would tell us us to have a walk worthy of the calling that we've been called. Again, when I think about this and I summarize this idea, what I think to myself is, listen, I think this is what I have to think to myself. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm not going to do the things that I always used to do before. I'm not going to look like everybody else. I'm not going to sound like everybody else. I'm not going to do my own thing anymore. I'm going to do what the Lord says. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to dedicate myself to Him. To get to know Him better. To reflect Him better in the world. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to separate myself and dedicate myself. And then, you know, one of the other things we have to come down to do, we have to learn to just trust in Him then. We have to learn to to trust in Him and have faith in His forgiveness, have faith in His grace and in His power to save us. I think it's very interesting in Romans 11, that passage we quote all the time about, for without faith it is impossible to please Him. It goes on to say, for those who come to Him must believe that He is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And I think that's an important thing to remember. We've got to remember that God is a rewarder. That's part of faith. Understanding that He rewards those who seek Him. 
How often did the psalmist say something like that? You're my refuge because I seek you all the days. That's a key element to faith. Sometimes it is hard to accept the fact that God has forgiven me. Especially when I've done something S-T-U-P-I-D. But the very gift of Jesus should inspire confidence in that promise. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, Paul says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And again, if you think he's talking about giving you bread and water in that verse, back up and read the passage. Back up and read the context. Talk about spiritual things there. What did John say when we read a moment ago in 1 John 1? If you confess, he is faithful to forgive. Faithful and just. Now, our confession has to be sincere. Our repentance has to be genuine. But when we do that, God does forgive. And what a great thought. Let me tell you where I think we fall down on this. You know, we in the Church of Christ, we often talk about the fact that you can't earn your salvation. But I'm not sure we always believe that. Because I talk to Christians, and I've been one of those Christians who talk like I have to earn my salvation. I've got to be perfect before God, you know. I mean, I just think about in the past when I tried to, and when again, I was really trying to earn my salvation. Here's what I wanted. I wanted to get to this point where I could say to God, God, I don't, I don't need your forgiveness. God, I don't need your grace. God, I can do this on my own. It's kind of like the little kid, you know, sitting in the, the high chair and you put the plate in front of him and, and you start to feed him. He says, no, me feed me. It's like, dude, who put that food on your plate? Me can feed me, but me can't feed me. And when I was struggling with my own sexual purity, again, I wanted this to be all about me. I wanted to say, God, I can handle this. I got this, God. Without him, I never did. And then I decided I was going to start appreciating God's grace. You know, in 2 Peter, when Peter says that we should grow in grace and knowledge, man, for a long time, okay, I, I get what it means to grow in knowledge. i got to study more. i got to get more of this book in my head. What in the world does it mean to grow in grace? And I finally realized what it means is to appreciate grace. It's to see grace. It's to embrace grace. It's to realize that you've been getting more grace already than you can even imagine. And you're continuing to get more grace than you can ever imagine. That's what it means to grow in grace, I think. It is to become aware of the grace that you have received. And so, when I decided to accept God's grace, I decided I could forgive myself. I decided I could admit that... I'm never going to do this without his help. I really believe that's when I started growing, really, as a Christian. And I could accept that. 
And I'm at the point in my life right now where if you ask me, Simon, are you going to heaven? The answer is, I am. Yes, I am. It's not because of me. It's because of him. When I tell you that I am a holy man of God, I'm not bragging about myself. I'm pointing out the fact that I've been sanctified. I've been made something that I cannot be without God, that I cannot be on my own. But I am that. You know how I know? Because God told me that. God told me. That's what he made me. That's why his son died. So that I could be presented to him as holy. I embrace that. And what I have found in this new kind of a thinking is what I'm going to call the power of thanksgiving. I am so thankful to God for his grace that I don't want to mess it up. I'm so grateful for God's grace that I don't want him to think this doesn't mean anything to me. I want him to know that his gift means something to me. I want him to know that this gift means everything to me. I think that's why Paul talks about thanksgiving so much. I mean, I could have picked any of his epistles to point out how often he talks about thanksgiving, but I chose Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 10, I mentioned this a moment ago, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he goes on to say, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 12, he says, we should be thankful because God has sanctified us. If you drop down to chapter 2 and in verse 7, in verse 6, he says, And therefore, we, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving chapter 3 verse 15 when he's talking about putting on the new man he says let the peace of god rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body and be thankful i think it's sad that we don't often quote all of verse 17 we often quote verse 17 like this whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus but it goes on to say giving thanks to god the Father through him. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I think this is subtle, but it is important. Before, I thought salvation was something I had to earn. I thought salvation was something I didn't have yet, but I wanted it and I wanted to obtain it. And, 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 I, and I wasn't even sure if it was attainable. And I hear Christians talking like that sometimes. I hear them say, you know, I, I ask sometimes, I'll make that statement. Uh, you ask me, Simon, are you going to have the answers? Yes. I've had people come up to me after service. I'm just not sure, Brother Harris. I'm just not sure. You know, I tell them, you got one or two problems. Either one. There's some sin in your life. But you know you need to fix it, and you better fix it. 
Or number two, you're trying to earn your salvation and you need to stop that. We can have confidence. We should be thanks, thankful. And, and I was miserable when I was trying to attain that. But now I understand. Salvation is mine. Salvation is something that I have. And I don't want to lose it. I'm thankful to God for His gift. And I want to show Him every day by striving every day to live up the standards that He's given me. He's made me holy. And so now I want to be holy and trust. In His grace, when I fall. How do, how do I get there, right? How, how, do I, how do I get this sanctification? How do I get this power that God wants me to have? How do I find strength in God to be holy? And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that... Um, so many times I think that we come to questions like this and we expect it to be mystical or magical. It's like when Naaman said, I thought the man of God would come out and wave his hand over the place and all of this. When, and then what's his servant say? He says, Father, you know, the man just said go dip in the river seven times. Why, why not just go do it? And again, I think sometimes that, that we're looking for something mystical and magical, but really it's simple and concrete. And, and that's what I'm going to give you. It's some things that are just simple and concrete to, to find this power of God to sanctify. And I think the first place we should look and think about is, is His Word. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 Paul has given the young man, Timothy, some advice about how to grow and about how to appreciate what he has and where he's at. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by a prophecy, by the laying on the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I promise you that if you just do what Paul says right here. If you'll do, if you'll follow this outline that Paul gave the young man, Timothy, I promise you, you will grow. You will find strength and wisdom to be more of what God wants you to be. We waste so much time on the vanities of this life. You know, I mean, this, this, and this is dumb and unimportant. And, and so I want you to understand that's where I'm coming from. You know, some, sometimes Teresa will say to me, she'll say, hey, I've planned us a date night on Friday night. And so just pick some place to go and we'll go and eat. And man, I'll get on Yelp and read reviews and look at this restaurant, look at that restaurant for an hour to go eat. And so, that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But... It, it's it's just, at the end of the day, what difference does it make? You know, ask me the last time that I did all that research, what restaurant I went to. I don't know. What did they eat there? I don't know. And again, I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm saying, if you're willing, like me, to spend an hour looking for a restaurant to eat on Friday night, why not use an hour a day to find out... <laughs> 
what God has said to me and get closer to him so that I can go to heaven when this is all over and eat from the tree of life and drink from fountains of living water. Spend time. Do not neglect. Meditate. Continue in them. Which kind of brings me to my next point is that, look, it's not enough just to read. It's not enough just to know the word. We've got to turn around and obey it. What's James say? James says, don't be a hearer of the word only and not a doer also. We've got to do what we read. And again, I know that I'm not the only one that read some instructions I read directions to somebody's house or whatever it might be and say, nah, if that don't sound right to me, I'm going to do it this way. And then after you go back to Lowe's and buy another kit because you broke that one, like this time, I'll read the instructions and follow the instructions. I see some of y'all's faces. Yeah, y'all done it. So it's not enough just to read this. Now I got to turn around and do what God says and, and trust in him. That this is the right way. You know, it's one thing not to trust the guy who wrote the manual. It's another thing not to trust the guy who created you. And to realize that God's commandments are not burdensome. They are for our good always. You know, I sometimes think about the Old Testament. It's like, you know, the perception of all those thou shalt nots and thou shalts and all those sacrifices and all that. And it's like, man, I'm glad I don't live under that. But Moses says all these things are for your good. They were for your good. Another thing that I, I talked to the men about yesterday was about this idea about being discerning. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13 Hebrews 5 and 13 says, For everyone who takes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses discerned or exercised to discern both good and evil. Let me, let me just take you on a, a little, real short journey here. When he first talks about people who are only partaking of milk. And when they should be eating solid meat. You know, it it is amazing to me how often I'll meet somebody out doing evangelistic work or whatever and talk about studying the Bible with them and 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 they want to study revelation. It's like time out. Don't you understand revelation is the calculus of the New Testament? You need to learn to add and subtract before you can do calculus. And we need to back up and do some uh, addition and subtraction first. But you and I, we need to move past addition and subtraction. But we can't do that unless we grow. And, and so we have to be working our way through growing so that we can get the calculus. And, and really, the, the, I think Romans is more calculus. Revelation is more like trig. (laughs) But as we do that, now we have to exercise our senses to discern. 
both good and evil. Real quick, tell you a story. I was watching this TV show, and it was about a guy who owns this shop, and you bring this, you bring stuff to the shop that might be valuable, and he buys it from you, and he appraises the value of those things. There was this one guy brought in one time a gold coin from the 1800s, and the, my, the man behind the counter says, "Listen, I am interested in this, but I want you to know something. This coin is often counterfeited." Now. In the counterfeits, there are some counterfeits that are actually worth money. So this might be one of those bad counterfeits that's not worth anything. It might be one of the good counterfeits that is worth a little bit more money. Or if it's the real thing, it's worth a lot of money. I need to bring an expert in who can tell me what this is. And so that guy came in and his job was to determine was it bad, was it good, or was it best. And that guy discerned. Right? He was discerning. He was scrutinizing that coin. By the way, it ended up being real and worth a whole lot of money. That's what we as Christians have to be. Mature Christians have to be. We have to discern that there are some things that are bad. Some things probably not good for us. And other things that are, that are good for us. And that's what we're trying to do. We, we, we need to test. We need to examine. Every decision needs to be made on this basis. Will it draw me closer to God or drive me away? Where are you going to live when you graduate college, high school, or your apprenticeship? Where are you going to live? What are you going to do? Who are you going to marry? Those kind of questions. Sometimes it does boil down to where am I going to eat today? What am I going to eat today? How am I going to behave today? How am I going to talk to this person today? All of those decisions have to come down to will this draw me closer to God or push me further away? And if there are things in your life that you know are pushing you away from God, get rid of them. That's what it means to be discerning. Sometimes it's not even wrong. Well... There's another thing you have to do, and that is you've got to give yourself in prayer to God. Knowing things often isn't enough. We sometimes need more help, help that we can't always explain. And I'm fine with saying that. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If you are faith, if you if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive. And now if we bring our petitions to him, he is faithful to give us mercy and grace to help in In the time of need. Jesus in Mark chapter 11 verse 24 says basically this. If there's something you want, ask God and you will get it. The NIV, which is a translation I I don't really like too much. But it says and that if you believe, he says, believe that you have received it. Whenever I find myself struggling with sin and I start doing this self-inventory, there's one thing that always comes up. I wasn't praying like I should. We need to be people of prayer. I think it's cool that Daniel's 
enemies wanted to find something against him. And they tried, I just imagine that, that meeting of those guys, you know, like what are we going to do to get rid of Daniel? Well, hey, why don't we, why don't we get him caught in a bribe? No, you can't do that because Daniel don't take bribes. What if we send some young girl over and get him in trouble? No, that ain't going to work because Daniel don't do that kind of stuff. Why don't, we, why don't we set up some kind of situation where he's going to curse the king? No, nah, because Daniel don't do that kind of stuff. Finally, guys, I know what we got to do. I know what we do. That man prays every day. If we make a law that says you can't pray, we'll have him. Wow. That's powerful. That's the kind of prayer life we need to have. Long time when before I start preaching, I thought, man, all preachers ever say, you gotta study more and pray more. That's all they ever say, pray more and study more. It's like that's the solution to everything. I've been preaching for twenty six years now. I haven't found a better answer. But I'll tell you something, I think there's one thing, there's one big thing that God gave us to find strength in Him that I think that we often neglect. And I think this is the one we neglect even more than than study and prayer. And that is finding strength in one another. Finding strength in one another. Again, there's probably... Many books, that I, many of the epistles that I could turn to and show you this reliance that we're supposed to have on each other. But since you're open to Hebrews, look at Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Turn to chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another And so much more as you see the day approaching. I hate the fact that I always grew up hearing Hebrews 10, 25. You got to go to church. You got to go to church. You got to go to church. Now, he clearly says not forsaking the assembling of of ourselves together. But do you realize what he's really saying? What he's really saying is y'all need to be with each other. This should be so important to you that you want to be together. And so don't blow this opportunity. God has commanded us at least one day a week to come together and be together and build each other up. And he says, don't blow that, y'all. Take advantage of this. It is interesting to me that often, like I saw this during the Super Bowl. In our, uh, uh, you know, I live in Albany, New York, a long way from Los Angeles and Cincinnati. But do you know our paper, the the, the 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 Albany newspaper, told you what bar you could go to if you wanted to hang out with Cincinnati fans, or what bar you could go to if you wanted to hang out with Rams fans? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And yet, we don't think this is a big deal. No, this is a big deal. 
But again, I want to tell you something. That, that we have to, to move beyond this idea of church in a box. Because there's another way that we need to take advantage of each other. And I think that's in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 in verse 26. And he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Again, growing up in the church, when I heard this, this was like for the altar call, right? That's what this is about, you know. Come down while we stand and sing. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, I, I, think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that tradition that we have. I think it's a great thing. It is a great opportunity that if you need prayer, here's an opportunity that you can let your brethren know, I need prayer. But what, what often happens is we have, we have that, and, and I'm going to do that in a minute. I'm going to give, I'm going to offer an invitation in a minute. And, and what happens is somebody comes down front and decides, I've been living like all. All right, we'll pray for you. And you get up, and Brother Jones is here, and he's not living like y'all. Let's pray for him. And we pray, we all come hug his neck, we go home and forget about Brother Jones. I don't think this is what this verse is talking about. I think this verse is talking about something more. This verse is about me calling John and saying, John, can, can we meet somewhere for lunch or something? And to sit down and say, John, I have been struggling with treating Teresa with kindness and love. And I want you to pray for me. And so now John knows what to pray for me. How can a brother's prayer be effective and fervent if he doesn't know what he's praying for? I think that's what this is really talking about. We have got to learn to open up to one another. And again, this is kind of, I'm going to step up on, if I haven't been there for a long time already, I'm going to step up on the soapbox. And here's the soapbox. We come to church with a Sunday face on. It's all good today. I'm good. And we sit down in the pew, we sit down and we think, I'm a mess. But man, Phil, he can't understand, he couldn't have understand me. Look at him. He's got everything together. He and his family so great. And Phil's sitting there with his Sunday face on. He's thinking, I'm a mess. Look around. Ain't nobody can help me. Look at Craig over there. Man, he's a young dude. we got everything together. Craig's sitting there. He's got his Sunday face on. Like, I'm a mess today. And nobody here understands me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. And we do. We do. This is a room of broken people. And if you didn't think that about yourself, you wouldn't be here. So, drop your Sunday face. And let people in. I mean, you don't want to just spill your guts to everybody. You know, but when somebody that you love and respect says to you, how are you doing? Say to them, man, look, I don't want to burden you right now, but after services, can we talk? Don't be afraid to open up and to trust. I, I may not have always have dealt with with what you're dealing with. 
But I've dealt with my own things. And I understand the power of sin. And that's another thing I'll say. We tend to have this thought that if you haven't gone through what I've gone through, then you can't help me. If that's true, then Jesus is of no help to you. Jesus never committed adultery. Jesus never got drunk. Jesus never got angry in a sinful way. But he can help. And so can I. Even if I've never done what you did. And chances are, the truth is I have. There is no sin that you can't be forgiven of. There is no sin that you can't put behind you. But you must come to God and seek the sanctification that He can give and only He can give. There is help from God for those who desire to be holy and righteous before Him. And the only hope we have is in trusting in His grace and in His power. But the thing is, there is more grace and power available from God than you can ever imagine. You can be the person God wants you to be. You can be his child. And there's no one who wants that more for you than God himself. God has done big things to sanctify you. But you know, I'm a firm believer in providence. I'm a firm believer that God makes things happen. And I can't always tell you, yeah, God did this. But every time God leads me to something that I go through and come out closer to him, I'm pretty sure he did it. Maybe the reason you're here this morning is because God knew I was going to preach this lesson and he wanted you to hear it. Don't blow the way God has been working in your life. Take advantage of what God has done for you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you are a sinner. Maybe you clearly identify with the words Paul spoke in in Romans chapter 7 and just about how depressed and despondent that man of sin was. And you're wondering, what in the world can I do? The words behind me are not Church of Christ doctrine. They are not the words of Simon Harris. Every word behind me comes from Jesus Christ. He says, do you want to be sanctified? This is what you need to do. Believe in me. Believe in God. Be willing to repent. Turn your life around. Give your life to him. Confess that you're a sinner and that he is God raised from the dead. Be buried with him in baptism so that all your sins can be cleansed, washed away. And then be faithful to death knowing that salvation is yours. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian. You've done those things, but you know you're not living right. In spite of what I said about a moment ago about coming down front. Man, come down. And let one of these elders sit with you and talk with you and find out what's going on. They don't have to turn around and tell us all. What's going on with you? 
That's their prerogative. That's their wisdom. But they'll know. And they'll be able to help. Don't leave this building this morning without being a holy man of God or a holy woman of God. And if there's anything that we can do to help you in that journey, let us know right now as we stand and as we sing.